0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Well, here we go. The Friday edition of the Oakley Show at this time sees our friend Conrad Black. Join us, noted author, commentator, and historian. Conrad, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, John.
0: You know, I'm going to ask you as a historian, first of all, uh, Bush 41 and the eulogies and the commemoration and all and... uh, kind of uh, reminded me again that here was a guy who presided over the watershed moments in history, like uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, dismantling the Berlin Wall, the first Gulf War. Uh, So how would you assess him, historically speaking, that uh, a great president, one who had greatness or at least circumstances thrust upon him that, uh, you know, cast him as a significant historical figure? How do you assess him?
1: Good background on foreign policy. He'd been representative to China, ambassador to the U.N., and, and of course, Director of Central Intelligence. And and I thought he handled the foreign policy aspects with great elegance, Uh, no triumphalism as the Soviet Union imploded, just the sort of person you wanted there at that time. Uh, But it was all set up for him. Reagan, uh, I mean, obviously the Cold War went on for a long time, but uh, President Truman set up the institutions and all of them uh, as time went by, contributed to it, but Reagan really engineered the end of it and and and, and the uh, Gorbachev was there, and the whole thing was starting to crumble when Reagan left office uh, in that but he he caught it and and handled the the Finishing off of that period, I thought extremely well. Uh, as a, and as a man, I knew him somewhat. He was, as he's been described, is a very great gentleman, and and he was, of course, in his late teens, a hero who won the Navy Cross as a combat pilot. Um, and the last, uh, the last president uh, uh, who who fought in combat, many previous ones did, but none since. Um, I have to say, as a political leader. Uh, and, and it's appropriate this wasn't much focused on when a man, especially a prominent person like that, dies. Everyone, uh, the universal instinct is, is to be uh, upbeat and respectful, and and he certainly deserved that. But as a political leader, uh, it has to be said that he was not particularly effective. He won twice uh, as a congressman, and 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 uh, when he ran for the Senate, he ran well ahead of of his. Party elsewhere in the state, even in 1964, he lost. Uh, he lost by, I believe, 330,000 votes. But, but uh, in that election, the, the Democratic candidate for president, Lyndon Johnson of Texas, uh, defeated Goldwater by over 900,000 votes. So he, he he did respectably, but he never won an election on his own after that. Uh, really, until 1988. I mean, he, he ran again for the Senate. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy race to win, so, and, and he had a strong opponent, Lloyd Benson, but he he didn't do especially well in the primaries running against Reagan, and he, but he did come second. Reagan didn't much care who the vice president was, so he gave the job uh, to Bush after there was that suggestion that he bring back Ford the ex-president to be vice president, which was nonsense. And... Um, uh, and he was a good vice president, but, but and, and he really stood on Reagan's coattails uh, when he was elected president, but uh, we forget it now, but he, he had his party splintered by that charlatan crackpot. Ross Perot, who took 20 million votes. And that's why we got the Clintons. Now, I'm not anti-Clinton particularly, but we never would have heard of the Clintons if George Bush Sr. hadn't allowed an absolute charlatan to split the Republican Party. Uh, but, but, so I don't think he was a strong political leader in that system, but I think he was an, an above-average president and really an, an, as a man, a, 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 an exemplary man who deserved all the praise he received this past week just a very fine decent brave good man
0: well you know it's interesting you mention that because listening to brian mulroney's eulogy it seemed to highlight the distinction between bush 41 and the current president you think that was fair did you sense that was the subtext of what brian was saying
1: not not no i did not and, and i have actually uh spoken with him since then and uh, and not particularly about that, but he he, he he's, he's uh, friendly with Trump too, you know, and uh, I don't think that's what he intended to do. I think I think he was uh, he was highlighting the George Bush that he knew knew closely. Remember, President Bush Senior gave uh, gave the the toast to the bride at, at now the Attorney General of Ontario, Carolyn Mulroney's wedding. Uh, we attended that wedding and I remember it well. I mean, he, he was a close friend after they'd both re- retired from the high offices at of the helm, uh, and and he was he was speaking in in respect of his friend uh, and not in contrast to anyone else. Um, and look, it's horses for courses. Uh, what you. Needed at that time in foreign policy matters was a very diplomatic, gracious, elegant person. The country has been mismanaged since then so badly that what you need is someone who really, uh, who really shakes things down and shakes things up, and, and that's what this president's doing. It's a, I mean, you know, when they needed Washington, they got Washington and not Teddy Roosevelt. When they needed Franklin D. Roosevelt, they got him and not Dwight Eisenhower. I mean, you you you. you in that system, when you need somebody, you normally get what you need.
0: Again with Conrad Black. Well, let me ask you then about diplomatic finesse. We've got a situation now where Canada acted at the behest of the United States in detaining the CFO of Huawei, and uh, who she was in court today in Vancouver, in the bail hearing. It turns out the determination was that uh, she was trying to circumvent sanctions against Iran that all of the West seemed to be in compliance of, or uh, all the countries you know, that uh, have this compact uh
1: you're you're referring to the other signatories yes yeah yep. I, I i canada's not involved in that but you're talking about the uk france germany russia and china well
0: yeah and the five eyes so to speak i mean yeah. we we did it at the behest of the united states and yet uh there seem to be overtures towards china we want to stay on side lest we get walloped by the dragon we poke the dragon here what are your thoughts
1: well you don't you don't pull the eagle's feathers and you don't Poke the dragon in the eye. I mean, both dragons and eagles can be very nasty. But uh, look, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the news today, but there wasn't a determination to to hand her over to the Americans, was there? Today?
0: Well, it wasn't today, but uh, it looks like that might be imminent. What you do you know, think well, we look, ought to
1: I, do? I, I, we have to honor our treaties. I mean, if if uh, if the Americans have placed her in a position where she's extraditable i i i, I don't think we can fail to extradite her just because the Chinese tell us to. I mean, we're we're not going to break treaties with the Americans because the Chinese tell us to. If the Chinese have a problem with that, their problem's not with us, it's with the Americans. Now, with that said, I am opposed to the extradition treaty with the United States. I know what the American justice system is like. I I don't know anything about whether this lady is guilty of anything. Uh, I don't know a thing about it. I, I, I mean, in terms of the industrial and and uh corporate ethics of the chinese i wouldn't be surprised but that's that's no indictment of her personally but um uh the the, the way the american criminal justice system works it is so one sided so unfair and the sentences are so medieval in their barbarity that I don't think we should have anything to do with extraditing criminals or alleged criminals to the United States. But as long as the treaty's there, I think we have to honor our treaties. Now, with that said, she should have, and I assume she will have, a full hearing on the issue of whether she should be extradited but the issue there should not be whether the chinese like it or not it should be what are our commitments to other countries we have no agreement with china that we won't extradite their citizens and we do have an agreement with the united states that we will extradite people that they have reason to believe have committed crimes in the united states now whether violation or alleged violation uh, of American sanctions constitutes a crime at a personal level. I have my doubts about that. So I wouldn't say that's a, that's a foregone conclusion. but I think we've got to judge it on the legal facts, not what the Chinese or the American governments think of it.
0: Let me ask you a final question on protocol, then. Uh, it has to do with your own personal legacy, and I know you wrote about it for uh, tomorrow's National Post, uh, this incident with Jean Chrétien, where he denied you Canadian citizenship, I guess, because of your uh, peerage that you... Uh, Achieved in the United in the United Kingdom, uh, and he cited something, the Nickel Resolution, you write from 1919, that uh, said that uh, Canadian law obliged the, uh, them, uh, Kretsch in this case, to oppose any appointment as a baron and member of the upper house uh, because we don't confer these titles. Uh, you know willy-nilly and they, you you in turn say this resolution was non-binding. I'm going to pivot here for a second. Well, it wasn't
1: because, only that, it didn't apply to British residents.
0: Right, which uh, is what you are, but here's the thing. I, know
1: I was then, I'm a yeah. Canadian resident now.
0: Okay, uh, but the non-binding element is really interesting to me because uh, next week we're supposed to sign on to uh, this United Nations sponsored initiative called the Compact on Migration which some of the uh, folks who are in high judge and say, wait a minute, we, we're going to cede our sovereignty over uh, migration or immigration here. And the critics are saying, in response, well, it doesn't matter. It's non-binding. It's just, you know, kind of a, like a directive or a suggestion if you want to follow it. But non-binding things have their consequence, don't they?
1: Uh, they often do, and they are meant by the people who promote them. To be binding, but to be facilitated in the acceptance of them by by creating the transitory myth that they're non-binding. I mean, it's just—it's really just trying to—it's a trap. Like, slip one through, you know.
0: Sure. Okay. In other words, uh, we could be setting ourselves. I, I think
1: we've got to be awfully careful about that. I mean, I, I again, I, I would want to read exactly what it is we're supposed to sign on to before before I get to. Uh, Um, you know, too too declarative about this, but I I have a ghastly feeling that we're basically saying, look here, it's a troubled time in the world. We simply have to admit unlimited numbers of people uh, across our borders uh, on humanitarian grounds. And, And we can't get into that. That is, when you get right down to it, an attempt to, to, to simply break down all borders, it, to create the sort of thing you had in the latter days of the Roman Empire, uh, where huge numbers of people, without a thought of moving to another jurisdiction and becoming citizens of another jurisdiction and then working within that jurisdiction as citizens of it, simply move into someone else's territory because they're unhappy where they are. I mean, if to the extent that exists in the world now, we have to deal with it as a humanitarian problem. But the abolition of borders and and the complete breakdown of national government is not the answer.
0: So we've got Visigoths there at Roxham Road in southwest in Quebec. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and here comes Tamerlane.
0: Right. Let's, you know, uh, we're on the clock here, though, because uh, this is going to be signed in Marrakesh, Morocco, next week. Do you think there's been adequate discussion or debate about this?
1: No, I do not. I, but I, 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 on the other hand... There, i suspect that it is something whose non-binding status is going to be raised uh, you know you refer to the nickel resolution that was 99 years ago i don't think we'll have to wait 99 years for the idea that what's being signed in marrakesh is non-binding to be raised
0: well uh, like it'll
1: probably be raised in the first week of 19 of, of 2019
0: right uh but we're being seduced it looks like it's a fur line trap of sorts i mean to see well, It's so- like
1: the paris it's like the paris accord i mean the Chief uh, uh, emitters of carbon—not uh, that—not that the role of carbon has been altogether clearly understood. Uh, I mean, we have to have it to create oxygen, for heaven's sakes. So and the trees create more of it than anyone else does. But, but it, 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 despite all of that, the chief alleged offenders aren't promising to do anything. That's China and India,
0: mm. and that one too is non-binding. So, uh, and yet we're trying to live up to the precepts. Conrad, it's always a pleasure. I wish you a a great weekend, and we'll look forward to talking again next Friday.
1: Thanks so much, John. Same to you and your listeners.
0: Thank you. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.